Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer, and welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It's Friday, April 7th, 2022. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, after a long six weeks in session, we take a look at how Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell fared. Number two, Speaker Nancy Pelosi's big fundraising numbers. And number three, some nuggets from Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns' new book. All right, let's get into it. Good morning from Detroit, Michigan. We are set to interview Senator Gary Peters in our first installment on the Road to Recovery 2022 series. You can tune in to watch that virtually. Sign up at the Punchbowl News Events Hub. So, Obviously, the Senate adjourned last night after six straight weeks in session, one of the longest stretches during this Congress. It's important to kind of just take a step back, actually, and think about all the things that have happened over this period, because it has been quite a bit. From Russia's invasion of Ukraine, President Joe Biden delivering his first State of the Union address, Congress passing a $1.5 trillion spending package to keep federal agencies open through September, the January 6th committee, select committee accusing former President Donald Trump of engaging in a criminal conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election, this new wave of COVID cases that has hit Capitol Hill, including Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and of course, the historic uh, confirmation of Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. She became the first in American history of a black woman being seated on this panel. So that is a ton of things happening. And as we often like to do, we talk about what what happened. How did the leaders handle it? They face some difficult challenges here. But let's first take a look at Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Obviously, big, big, big win for Schumer with this Supreme Court confirmation. Um, you know, for the for the Senate, the Supreme Court nominations are about as consequential as it gets. Huge pressure, scrutiny is intense. Every statement and comment is examined, parsed, and pulled apart endlessly. Um, you know, so the fact that he was able to thread the needle here in a very short amount of time, um, you know, is Schumer gets some credit here. He also gets credit for helping shepherd that massive fiscal year 2022 spending bill to completion. Uh, You know, the collapse, obviously, of the Democrats' bill back, better bill kind of provided an opportunity here to find a bipartisan way forward in the Senate. So he gets the win here. Um, You know, he also has been working on this $14 billion military humanitarian aid package for Ukraine. Um, other wins for Schumer. And passing an anti-lynching bill, legislation that eluded Congress for decades, reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act, postal service reform, and a bipartisan ocean shipping reform bill. But it wasn't all good news. Let's get to some of the not-so-good news for Schumer. He certainly had setbacks that included the failure to pass a $10 billion COVID preparedness package. You know, he's not alone in owning that, but it certainly is an issue for him trying to move forward on this. Um, you know, as well as the fact that, you know, he he's had some nomination issues. Uh, go back, going back to Sarah Bloom Raskin's nomination for the Federal Reserve, uh, which failed to get out of the banking committee due to GOP opposition, as well as the public defeat of Labor Department nominee David Weil on the Senate floor. 
This is the first time Biden lost a nomination outright. Um, you know, overall, Schumer is has been forced to deal with a 50-50 Senate for far longer than any majority leader in history. Uh, but he's been able to amass a pretty robust legislative record as we just walked through. There's often criticism uh, of the way he runs the floor at times, as well as the, you know, quote unquote, Schumer style of just throwing everything at the wall legislatively and seeing what sticks. But as he moves towards re-election this November to a fifth term in the Senate, the 71-year-old Schumer remains in firm control of his caucus. His members trust his judgment and follow his lead, and he will still be Democratic leader, whether his party is in the majority or minority next January. All right. Let's shift over to Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. We've watched McConnell for a long time. He is no newbie uh, in leadership. He first came to the Senate GOP leadership table 25 years ago. If you count his running the National Republican Senatorial Committee during the 98 and the 2000 cycles, and we do, then there were four years as GOP whip, and of course, another 15 plus years as Senate Republican leader. Over that time, he has honed several traits to a high degree, um, you know, and that includes vote counting, which is an obvious need uh, if you look at any kind of the top qualities for leadership, but reading members, something that's much harder and critical to do, and ignoring what McConnell considers distractions from his ultimate political goals, i.e. basically anything former President Donald Trump's saying. So McConnell also knows how to pick his spots. There's been several such instances during this recent Senate period that are vintage McConnell. They include the debate over the Ukraine aid package and certainly his clash with Senator Rick Scott of Florida, the NRSC chair, over a GOP agenda and what that would look like if they win back the majority. And Ukraine aid, McConnell stepped into an insist on an even costlier package than what had been floated this fits with how McConnell views how the U.S. should respond to the Russian invasion. It's also a message to the White House to be much more aggressive on the aid front. And it served as a signal to the traditional pro-NATO, pro-muscular foreign policy wing of the GOP that it was time to act, despite the pro-Putin comments from Trump and some conservative pundits. The other high-profile episode that we spent a lot of ink on over the last six weeks was McConnell's harsh response to Scott's decision to float his own policy agenda. Scott's plan includes tax hikes and votes to reauthorize Social Security and Medicare. Democrats continue to bash Republican candidates on this proposal. McConnell not only called out Scott in private, but he did so in public too. He has been channeling some of the anger of his own senators who were upset with Scott's decision to release a policy agenda, though Scott has not backed down. And he has even run a TV commercial talking up his plan and defended it in a Wall Street Journal op-ed. Other things to just note that are interesting, McConnell didn't pressure his colleagues to oppose Ketanji Brown-Jackson's nomination when it came to Senators Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Mitt Romney, who all ended up voting for the Supreme Court nominee, despite some complaints from GOP hardliners. And he has repeatedly said that he is very pleased with where the party is headed in terms of the midterm elections. Uh, he wants to make this midterm a referendum on President Joe Biden and the quote-unquote all-democratic government, soaring inflation and high gas prices. 
However, there have been some struggles here for Republicans, despite what I think most people think will be a very good year for them uh, in the midterms. There have been some real whiffs when it comes to recruitment of candidates, including Arizona and New Hampshire. Um, You know, at this point, McConnell seems pretty comfortable with Herschel Walker if the former football star emerges as a GOP Senate candidate in Georgia. But there's a lot of tough primaries for Republicans going on in Missouri, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, where the outcome uh, is uncertain. So this is going to be something to watch. How does he handle these? And particularly if if some of these more controversial candidates, i.e. in Missouri, former GOP governor Eric Greitens faces calls to drop out following horrific news of of abuse allegations by his ex-wife. You know, so far McConnell has refused to weigh into that controversy, but uh, it will be interesting to see if he chooses to, if it looks like Greitens is going to come out of that, uh, that, that primary. All right, let's move on to the number two story of the morning, Pelosi's massive first quarter fundraising. Speaker Nancy Pelosi raised $45.7 million for Democrats in the first quarter of this year, the largest fundraising haul we've seen so far. That includes $38 million directly to the DCCC. Throughout this entire cycle to date, Pelosi has raised a massive $192 million. So if you have been following politics, uh, certainly politics in D.C., you know that the House Democratic Caucus has subsisted on Pelosi's fundraising largesse for decades. She's been the House Democratic leader for nearly 20 years and has built an unparalleled fundraising network. And let's go to the number three story of the morning, a sneak peek. Count us very excited for Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns' new book, This Will Not Pass. It comes out May 3rd. You can order it now. Uh, Tell your friends to order it. We are are good friends with both Burns and uh, J-Mart. We worked with them at Politico and got a few juicy nuggets on Speaker Nancy Pelosi, some tidbits they're sharing ahead of uh, the news. Pelosi, number one, Pelosi resented that she had to beg her Democratic colleagues to give her the job as speaker again. Number two, they report out that Pelosi privately blamed progressives for nearly costing Democrats the House and said that AOC and and Primal Jayapal were fighting to be, quote unquote, the queen bee of the left. Another nugget they have here is that Pelosi was ticked at Biden for nominating untrustworthy Javier Becerra for the cabinet. And a last nugget, Pelosi on Ron Klain. They report that all that not all Democrats shared Biden's ad- admiration for Klain. Some party leaders grumbled about his hard-charging manner and expansive intellectual confidence. The Speaker of the House was one of those Democrats. Late in the 2020 campaign, Pelosi grew openly annoyed when an advisor urged her to consult with Klain about health care legislation. What, she asked, does Ron Klain know about anything? Oof. All right, well... This is going to be one to read for sure. Um, With that, thank you so much for listening. Please leave us a rating and review. That's the best way for folks to find out about The Daily Punch. If you aren't already, you can subscribe to Punchbowl News at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.